And this is View of the Valley's podcast, Season 2, Episode 1, with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, first off, welcome back. How you been over the last few months? Oh, I've been about the same, you know, eating too much, drinking too much, and uh, spending too much time uh, in front of the TV. I'm getting ready for hoops. I mean, being here with you, I'm getting excited for hoops, but you step outside and you guy my size, you just melt. It's oh. like you think about going outside and you're, you're sweating. It, it's, it's miserable. I, I just, my AC can't work fast enough. How about you? How are you been? How have you been? Excuse me. I've been doing well, uh, you know, over the last couple months. Uh, you know, baseball team coach up at the high school, you know, we won state. On your birthday. What? On my birthday. Yeah, I mean, heck of a birthday yeah. present. I mean, your future life, wife, you know, can't match it. Like, nope. hey, what'd you get? Oh, I got you season tickets to the Cardinals. Uh, you know, it doesn't beat my birthday when we won the state title. No kidding. Like, uh, some were saying, are you going to put the the date on the class ring? I said, no. Or on the state ring? I said, no. Oh, most people do this. And I don't, I'll never forget the date. It was on my birthday. So I can use that line for something else. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was a good time. Um, speaking of, you know, you were talking about your air conditioning. I made that, you know, rookie mistake. Left my house today. Well, I got that new uh, Amazon uh, okay. that I can control from my phone. And I thought I put it in eco mode, you know, so it'd be a little bit hotter than when I left, but, you know, not completely hot. Mm-hmm. Well, I accidentally turned that whole air conditioning off when I left. Uh, so it was 84 when I got home today. It was... Uh, it was not great. It just and you and you always have your car so much colder than you do your house oh. naturally. Oh yeah. So it's nice and cool in your car. You're like running like, oh geez, it's not any better. Well, it was kind of a weird transition. Like you know, it's real cold in the car, and then I got outside of my car. I'm like, got to be near a hundred. And I walk in. I'm like, okay, it's cooler in here, but this isn't as cool as I want it. <laughs> you know, not good enough. You had to learn to turn it on when you're leaving work. That's the move. Well, and I usually I do that. Yeah. Uh, naturally, I forgot. So, you know, I, but that's how my life's gone. I tend to forget those small things I like wait that. Wait till you get older like I am, and you, you don't even remember what you forgot. Well, <laughs> speaking of that, you just had a birthday. Yeah. How was I your did. birthday? It was good. Uh, sad news is, you know, that, that my favorite restaurant ever closed down and uh, became public knowledge yesterday on my birthday, but I had known for a couple of days. So, you know, people have been real consoling, like, happy birthday, sorry to hear the news. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're glad you made it another year. Sorry for the loss of a loved one. And, uh, you know, so I have to find a new new place to make home. And uh, But it was a good run. But, no, I had a great birthday. My wife made my favorite meal for my birthday, a little pepper steak and rice. And it'll be even better oh. when I can take it for leftovers later this week. And spent the weekend at uh, the track up at Worldwide Technology watching a little IndyCar. So got to spend it with my family. I get to see our, our older son come home from college this weekend for our annual fantasy football draft so it'll be a good trifecta by the time it's all over good deal so as we start off uh season two here on view of the valleys uh going forward you know after uh this week's episode we'll really get into some of the non-conference scheduling as some of the schools within the two conferences have slowly been releasing their uh non-conference schedules and i think if i'm not mistaken tj you know i was trying to follow the d1 docket you know this uh-huh. morning on Twitter, and I think it said now over a third of college basketball has uh, released their non-conference schedules. You could be right. I haven't seen that, but you know, and he does a great job of piecing it together. Like once one school releases it, like now we'll start filling in the other spots. I saw that Evansville released their non-conference schedule, which is heavy with OVC matchups. You know, I know they play Eastern Illinois and Belmont. You know, so that's starting to fill up 
the schedules that we're really interested in. So, you know, as kids are getting back to campus, I think it seems to be the time when those non-conference kind of gets filled in. So, yeah, you just love, I just wish, I don't know if I like this where it trickles out so I can enjoy it over a couple of weeks or a couple of months or if I want to drink from the fire hose. Yeah, all at one time. Yep. But going forward, you know, last year we had uh, we had a lot of a lot of guests on for interviews, wow. whether it be a, a current head coach, former head coach, assistant coach, uh, announcer, members, Hall of Fame players for different schools, yep, uh, NBA players. Uh-huh. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing who we can get this year. You know, I we had a lot of great guests last year. I mean, there were some some of the guys were pretty hilarious during it, right? You know. And this year, we're starting it off with uh, UT Martin's head men's basketball coach, Ryan Ritter. He joins us week one. And then from there, we hope to, you know, we hope to get some of the, you know, new coaches as well. You right. know, he's a new one this year, and we hope to get, you know, the other ones within the OVC in Missouri Valley. Right. And hopefully, uh, I think, I don't know how many guests we had last year. We did 40 episodes. I mean, I, I bet we... We had a guest in over at least half. Oh, for sure. I, I was going to say, you know, 30, over the over under at 25. 25. I was kind of thinking 30. I probably would have still been, you know, pretty close. But, yeah, then we have somebody like Marty Simmons who, you know, is a couple of years removed from being in the Missouri Valley, going to the Ohio Valley at Eastern Illinois. You know, that I think that would be some great insight. Somebody has a, oh, know, a fresh look for it. You know, maybe even somebody like Dana Ford who went the other way from Tennessee State in the OVC to, you know, Missouri State in the season that they're hoping to have this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, wish list, wish list. <laughs> you would take both of those head coaches, and I mean the the knowledge that they'd be able to give you from being able to compete in both conferences. Mm-hmm. I mean, be second to none. Yeah. So, so we'll keep it a little short this episode, but starting you know the next week's episode and going forward, we'll get we'll dive into those schedules and take a look at some of the rosters for uh, you know the schools between the two leagues. Uh, but we will get into some of the recent news between the two conferences at the end of the show. Uh, but right now, we'll go ahead and bring you the interview when we caught up with Edmonds basketball coach UT Martin, Coach Ryan Ritter. And we are joined by UT Martin's head men's basketball coach, Ryan Ritter, who enters his first season as the Skyhawks head coach. Coach Ritter, thanks for taking time to join the show. How are you doing? Hey, guys, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to uh, spending some time with you guys. Absolutely. We're excited ourselves. Uh, So we'll get right into it here, Coach. After collecting 143 wins at Daytona State College and Bethune-Cookman, you landed the UT Martin head coaching job. What stood out to you about the UT Martin job and leading you to accepting the offer? You know, that's that's a question I, you know, I've gotten frequently just because, you know, leaving the state of Florida where I've got a lot of family and, and a lot of connections, but um, you know, there's a couple things. Obviously, the OVC uh, is, is a great league traditionally. Um, it's had pros and had, have had teams that have won in the NCAA tournament. So, um, you know, very strong conference sticks out. But in, in terms of the actual UT Martin job, um, I, I think the leadership in this community uh, within our athletic department, um, as well as our, our chancellor, are, are second to none. And so when you look at taking jobs, obviously you want to surround yourself with great people. But I think our visions for our program uh, go hand in hand with the visions of this institution and athletic department and uh, being a part of a small community. I've just seen athletics, uh, the way they can impact, uh, you know, smaller college campus communities. And that's what fired us up about it. And, and you know, we're, we're just fired up to get to work. 
So you get your first collegiate coaching job at Embry-Riddle under your dad, Steve, with he being the head coach. Is that what prompted you to get into coaching? You know, I think that's a very fair question. I, I, I think that's probably the biggest reason. You know, obviously, I, I played in college, and I thought I was going to play in the NBA. And so that was my first, uh, you know, that was my first goal. But then, you know, I was about six one, not that athletic, and that one kind of <laughs> kind of got cut short pretty early. So, um, yeah, obviously, playing for my dad, and I had a, I played in college of Worcester for two years, and, and played under Steve Moore, who's you know one of the greatest coaches, and not just NCAA Division three history, but um, just one of the best coaches in, in college basketball. So, you know, playing for my dad is definitely um, what prompted me to get into coaching, but. Um, you know, I got to say a lot of it was my mom, too. She was an educator. She was a math teacher and uh, seeing her ability to give back to young people. Um, th- that's kind of what shaped me into wanting to use basketball as a, as a vehicle to, to really help impact uh, young people. So with you having the coaching job at UT Martin, I'm sure you're still trying to get you know acclimated to, you know, Martin, Tennessee or the surrounding areas. How have you been doing trying to get acclimated to it since well, Martin, Tennessee is a lot different than, uh, you know, places you've probably been in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I moved up here April 12th and I've, I'm married and, and, uh, married way above my league, but I've got two little daughters and, uh, my family didn't get a chance to move up here until mid June. So for the first two months, three months, I was living in a dorm with my three other assistants. And so it just felt like, uh, you know, we were working around the clock. We had nobody left on the roster and so I really didn't even – I didn't know what outside our my, my office really looked like. We'd grab some takeout and, and come back in here. So for the first time, I told my wife that uh, – uh, this last week, I said, man, I feel like we actually live here now. And so um, we're, you know, we're not some, some high school football games and, and um, just getting acclimated to the, to the uh, town of Martin has been awesome. People here are great. Um, just super accommodating have, have welcomed us like um, you know really nowhere else I've, I've been so obviously we, we miss the beaches we, we miss our family but um, we've got all the important things that, that we need here in Martin so not knowing quite yet what your full non-conference schedule is going to be are you a fan of the buy games and how does that compare with getting buy games at Bethune-Cookman yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, we've got our non-conference schedule. It uh, should be coming out here shortly, any any day. Uh, just wait on, you know, a couple last-minute contracts. But, um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy the buy games for, for what they are. Um, I think it's important that we help uh, generate, you know, some, some revenue for our program and our athletic program. But I also think it, it gives our guys an opportunity. Um, what we've been able to traditionally do is we'll look at our league and we'll try to match some high major programs. Um, you know, let's say we're playing, you know, for instance, when we were at Bethune-Cookman, Norfolk State, we knew they were going to be really tough. They were going to rebound. Um, and so we, you know, we wanted to play um, St. Louis. Uh, we thought they, they were uh, obviously a, a higher level version of Norfolk State. Uh, we know they're extremely tough. They would rebound. They were going to try to punk you on the glass. And so we've tried to kind of mirror our our non-conference schedule uh, with some teams that have been traditionally uh, really good in our conference schedule. So, you know, I do enjoy going to the bye games. I think it's a great atmosphere, great environment for our guys. And, uh, you know, one of these days, hopefully we're, we're going to knock one off here at UT Martin and, and get this place uh, energized and, and fired up for it. So we had uh, Coach Jay Spoonauer on last year. Uh, he was at Eastern Illinois, and he was saying that when – you know, he schedules by games 
you know, for the non-conference, you know, year in and year out, he's kind of a coach that, you know, never gets too involved with the refs. You know, he just kind of lets the lets the game go just because he knows he knows what they're there for. You know, they're going to, you know, get a check and then, you know, hopefully the experience against that power five team will help them prepare themselves for conference play. So do you find that to be fair that, you know, most coaches probably have that same mindset that they're not going to jump all over the refs in a in a bye game like that just because they know, you know, what what's expected anyway? You know, I think so. Um, you know, but at the same time, as those competitive juices get going and, um, you know, I think there's there's probably uh, some guys that, that, you know, are just fiery and competitive and, and whether sometimes that may uh, – spill over to the officials you know i'm like probably similar to coach um you know i'm not a big big guy to get on the officials i think those guys got one of the toughest jobs in the country and i think they're out there doing the best they can and um you know at the end of the day when you're playing those bye games and and you know you've got to play a real real new perfect perfect game just to have an opportunity those last four minutes and um try to really focus all of our energy on our team and coaching them and try to get them the, the best 40 minutes that we can so looking ahead to this season, it looks as if the team is strictly full of newcomers. With all these new faces on campus, how has the team been gelling together this offseason? It was funny. I was, I was talking to my dad this morning, and, um, you know, we do. We have all newcomers. We have 14 players on our roster. Uh, none of them were at UT Martin last year. And, uh, you know, right now, as of August 24th, I think is the date, um, man, we're, we're fired up. We've had no real adversity, no playing time. We've got great dudes. We had great grades in the summer. Um, everyone's getting plenty of minutes and, and workouts. Everyone's getting plenty of shots. So right now, I mean, on the surface, the gelling is, it, it, it couldn't be any better. And I don't think that, um, you know, I think if you're already struggling right now, then you may have some issues. So, you know, as of today, man, I, I, I know, I think we've got a chance to win some basketball games, but I know we've got unbelievable people uh, represent UT Martin. And, you know, it's our job as coaches to kind of figure out how to win games. But I do think we've got a group that is really coachable. I think they really like each other. Um, and I think the people in our community are going to really get behind our program because they're they're going to be really proud of, of, you know, how our guys not just compete on the floor, but how they interact in the community and, and how well they do in the classroom. So this will be your first season in the OVC, and there's been some significant changes with the departure of Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State. What comes to mind for you when you hear about the OVC? Well, the, the first thing, you know, you just said Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State. Um, I think those are, you know, two of the best coaches in, in the country. Uh, they, they've had very successful programs here in the OVC. So, um, you know, obviously – uh, we, we take a little bit of a, of a, a hit with the, the basketball part with those two programs, but you know, the OVC is just, it's, it's good year in and year out, you know, whether it's Belmont, Murray, Moorhead, um, you know, there's just so many, so many programs that have had not just uh, regular season success, but that have had success in the tournament. And so, you know, I, I was born in Lexington, Kentucky. And if you would have told me, Hey, at age 36, you're going to be named a head coach in the OVC. I would have, I would have laughed because there's no way that, that I would have been uh, fortunate to do that. So, you know, when I still see the word OVC, I'm looking at it right now, man, I get the goosebumps. Like, I'm, I'm a head coach in this league, and, and it's just fun to compete against, you know, the, the high-level programs here. So with those two schools leaving, and I talked to some people earlier in the year, um, I think it does a lot. I mean, it's going to hurt, you know, the wins that they're taking with them. But at the same time, I think it'll help the conference as a whole, you know, 
be more, I guess, close together with a lot more adversity, if you will, as the season, you know, gets going and more teams will get more, uh, you know, I guess, closeness with one another since you have those two teams leaving the conference is getting smaller. So when the rankings come out for college, you know, the Ohio Valley Conference, you know, the, the, the media that does the rankings for the conference, they may not know, like, what to expect from, you know, your squad since it's full of straight newcomers. And that could benefit you, you know, a lot because no one's really going to know what to expect. Well, you know, hey, if they do know what to expect, then have them give give them my phone number and uh, let me know because right now I we got fourteen guys and I don't know what to expect. So if anybody does, man, make sure you let let them give me a shout and and they can tell me. Then I'll have a little better uh, uh, heads up going into the season. But you know, you know what? Actually, the the one real positive thing is um, now we've got ten teams and, and it's a true home and home versus every team in your conference. So we've got eighteen conference games. And uh, I do like the opportunity to play each team twice because, uh, you know, I've been in some situations where, you know, good, bad or ugly, uh, your your conference schedule can really determine some of your wins and losses. And that that strength of schedule um, has affected us, you know, negatively and positively the last uh, three years when I was at Bethune-Cookman. But I I do like that everyone gets an opportunity to play home and road uh, every team in your league. I just think it's going to create a really balanced uh, and, and true champion. So with yourself coming from a smaller mid-major conference, are you a fan of the transfer portal? Or do you think it is in the best interest for college basketball programs? Yeah, I, I am a fan of the transfer portal. And I, I've said that, uh, you know, numerous times before it became official, uh, just because I, I believe in the opportunity for, for young people um, to make their own decisions. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I do think obviously we have to have structure in the NCAA, but um, I do think the transfer portal is valuable. Um, I think it's guys should be able to, to freely navigate through there. And, um, you know, is it in the best interest for college basketball programs? I, I do think that it is getting tougher to build programs um, with guys that are going to be there one, two, three, four, and sometimes five years. Uh, but, I, but I do think that if you, if you treat guys the right way, coach them really hard and, and care about them life after basketball, life uh, off the court, I still think you can build not just good teams, but I think you really can still build, you know, really strong college basketball programs. For example, if, if you look just in our league, I mean, you know, Belmont's going to be a borderline top 25 team in my opinion. And they had guys that could have transferred all over the country. And yet there's something they're doing special there where those guys felt it was still best to stay there. So, you know, I think you, for college basketball programs, it maybe becomes a little more difficult with the portal, but I, I absolutely am for it. And, I think you can still build one heck of a college basketball program. So staying in that recruiting mindset, coming from an HBCU like Bethune-Cookman, what kind of unique challenges are there for recruiting to schools of that nature? I think every school, you know, there's 357 Division One programs. I think every school has their niche. I think every school has their, their uh, difficulties, you know, whether it be the highest resource program in the country, the lowest. Um, you know, for us at Bethune-Cookman, we had we had a nice location um you know the the facilities you know we we probably need some upgrades there but you know at the end of the day i think the the biggest thing for us whether it's ut martin whether it's bethune cookman um you got to find your niche and what uh fits at your school what fits in your program and you know for us it was it was bethune cookman it was a lot of transfers uh we had a lot of ties in the junior college ranks i spent four years as a head coach and the guys on our staff um 
had had junior college background, so we we hit that market really hard my first two years. But as we you know built a program that was capable of, of competing in the upper echelon of the MEAC, we were able to really dig into some of those high school relationships in Florida. Um, you know, at Martin, I think you got to recruit a kid that embraces small town living, that embraces being um, in a community where, hey, maybe you don't have all the options for restaurants, but you're going to have great people that care about you, that are going to come support you, um, not just in basketball, but but outside of basketball. So for me, it's just finding the niche, um, not allowing the disadvantages to, to um, you know, be, be on the front end of uh, or not just being the focus, you know, I think every every school has its positives. You just got to find what they are and, and how do you make that work. So you've been a coach since the 09-10 season. How weird was it for you to not have a college hoop season this past year? I think that's a great word for it, weird. That, that's what it was. It, it was it was weird. I mean, I, I did things over winter that I've never done in my entire life. Like I went on a family vacation uh, with my parents, with my sister, uh, obviously with my wife and kids, uh, during December, I have never, never been able to do that. I have literally never been able to take a winter vacation. So we went about six days. We went up to North Carolina and, and, uh, my dad's season actually got canceled too. He's a division two head coach at Ember Riddle. And, um, it was, it was really weird to be looking out and seeing snow and not worrying, checking a box score, uh, getting a phone call or, uh, working on a scout. So, those things were, it was nice to spend more time with family and, and really dig in to, to some of those relationships. But, um, if I didn't tell you, it wasn't difficult to turn on ESPN plus and, and see all the, the games going on. It was, you know, my, my other brother was a, was a coach at Georgia Southern. So I'd, I'd go up there and, and try to spend time, but obviously with the COVID stuff, didn't get a chance to, uh, you know, do as much as I'd like just because of all the restrictions. So, it was weird is a great word for how I felt about uh, the, the year last year. So looking ahead to this season, what excites you most about what's coming up and, and what are you looking forward to market as a success? I think it's a couple things. I think just, you know, building a program and, and with all due respect, coach Stewart, uh, unbelievable man, had some successful years here and, and, and no disrespect to um, what they were able to accomplish here, but just building something, um, you know, new and from the ground up, you know, we're just, just fired up to do it. Um, you know, 14 new guys, uh, like I said, no one was on the current roster last year. So the unknown is, is really exciting, but I think just the challenge of, of taking over a new program and a new league. Um, and then, you know, the second part of that is just that, that competitive fire again, uh, getting a chance to, you know, not the 31 days we're going to play, but the, you know, 250 other days that we're, we're at this thing trying to figure out uh, how to make our program um, successful. That That's what's fun to us. We, we talk about the process and, and, you know, we've got nine things in the process and that's, that's probably the most fun for us. Just getting a chance to, to continue to build on the process and, and uh, be around our guys. So the last question here to wrap it up, and this is the question we ask all of our guests in the, in the interview not to put you on the spot since you haven't been in Martin, Tennessee that long, but if we were to go to Daytona Beach, Florida, or maybe even a place like on the road during your time in the MEAC, what is a place that you would recommend getting a bite to eat at? So being back home, I got to say it, it's, it's, it is what me and my wife do probably miss uh, quite a bit. The, the food selection in Ormond Beach is uh, pretty good. We've got a lot of options there, but there is a new spot 
it's a sushi spot called Fugu, and it's on the water. Uh, you're looking out over at the intercoastal. The service is great. The food's unbelievable, and uh, I don't know that there's a lot of better environments and, and atmosphere and food than than Fugu in Ormond Beach, Florida. Pretty big time spot there. Well, you got my vote for sushi on the coast there. I don't know if Chris is too much into sushi, but I'm all in off on that count. I like sushi, and I like a good view too. <laughs> well, you're gonna get two. Uh, you're gonna get two of the best at that spot. Have you found any sushi places in Martin yet? There is. Uh, I have. I have tried one. It's called Yamato. Um, I was okay with it. I think my wife is going to try it tonight for the first time. So we'll see if it gets her vote of vote of confidence. And if it does, then then maybe we'll make a repeat of repeat occurrence over there. There you go. I know uh, it's probably been shoot. Like probably 10, 15 years since I was in Martin, Tennessee. My uh, brother-in-law played at SEMO and sister cheerleaded there. So I guess my brother-in-law's last game went down there to watch John. And trying to find Martin, Tennessee at night was like impossible. I think we missed the exit three times trying to backtrack. So I don't know if it's – hopefully it's lighted better down there around the interstate because we couldn't find it at all whenever we were, uh, whenever we were there. So I'll tell you this, man, This and this is the truth. I've obviously only lived here for uh, a couple – well, sure, I guess I've lived here four months now. But um, this town is really cool. Uh, we've got a little downtown area. It is growing. Our, our chancellor's unbelievable. Our athletic director is unbelievable. We've got great vision. And um, the campus is, is beautiful. And now we're starting to really put some money into our downtown area. And if you haven't been here in a couple of years, I think people will be shocked to come back and realize, man – uh, I'm not saying we're a booming metropolis by any means, but it has got a great small town college feel, um, some pretty decent restaurants downtown. And I think just an overall excitement um, to kind of, you know, do something here special wise, uh, basketball wise. I mean, oh, good deal. Uh, well, Coach, we appreciate you taking time uh, this week to join the show. I know you got a busy schedule, you know, getting ready for the upcoming season. But best of luck to you this year and, you know, the rest of your career at UT Martin, wherever uh, college basketball takes you. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. Uh, All right, we'll see you. And that was our interview when we caught up with Coach Ritter earlier in the week. And I don't know about you, TJ, but I really enjoyed the interview. I thought Coach Ritter brought a unique uh, perspective to the interview. We asked him kind of a broader range of questions that went – couple different directions and he did a nice job you know answering them yeah we were kind of like the bad tennis players we were hitting shots all over the place not because we were trying to just kind of the way it happened but you know i I thought it was really interesting to hear his perspective about uh you know hey you have those hurdles in hbcu you you just got to ignore you got to find the path that you can and don't let those things become roadblocks for you and i also thought it was a great question about what you do with your with your year last year (laughs) you know he talked about going on vacation i remember the first year i was out of coaching we bought a house in december when I was coaching, there's no way we could have done that. We moved in January. Like, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, wow, I have all this time. And then my wife's like, yeah, you need to get back to coaching. <laughs> Spending all this time with you. Well, that's kind of like I'm wondering what I'm going to do next summer because that's going to be my first year not coaching summer baseball in five years. Wow. Hopefully I'll be able to do some boating or yeah, a little bit more golfing. But to get things started here, uh, TJ, we'll look ahead to the Missouri Valley Conference and – it looks like the Missouri Valley Conference has a, uh, if you come down with COVID, they have a new forfeit policy. Right. Basically, if you can't can't be in any contest for any reason, and this is all sports, you forfeit. You know, so 
I think there's a lot of conferences that are going to this. I think it gives the the schools more motivation, teams more motivation. Like you guys need to get vaccinated because the, the rules are different for those that are vaccinated in terms of quarantine, et cetera. So, and we're not, you know, you're the old coach thing. Like, well, we're not telling you you have to, but you're going to hurt the team if you don't, you know, still put it in their, in their court from that perspective. But playing devil's advocate here, if I'm a school and I know that there's a good chance I'm going to have to forfeit, how long do I wait hoping my opponent calls and says, hey, we got to forfeit? You know, I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen. If there's a deadline or, you know, or if you don't let a school know within an X amount of hours that, hey, now you have to refund costs and stuff like that. Because you imagine that, you know, uh, Murray State travels to, you know, uh, Tennessee Martin and gets there and like, oh, we had two COVID tests this morning, come up positive, we got to quarantine our guys. Like, well, we just spent all this money to get here. You know, and that was some of what happened last year, too. I remember working a, a Division Two game. During the women's game, we found out the men's game was canceled. Hmm. Yeah, I, I know last year there were times where, you know, schools got there and they were expected to play, and then it got canceled mm-hmm. just minutes before yeah. tip-off. Like, teams are dressed, yeah. and they find out, boom, game's banged. Yeah. Like Northern Iowa in the NBC <clears throat> tournament last year, you find out, you know, we were walking to the facility and found out. So I feel like there's going to have to be a, a different route taken um, I do, I mean, I know they test, you know, earlier in the day too, but I feel like if you're going to test that morning or the night before, I feel like there would have to be a deadline. So schools aren't wasting, you know, a trip there, mm-hmm. you know, because at the same time, schools are going to have to control their budget because I'm sure just as it was last year, the buy games aren't going to be right. you know, what they were, you know, from two, three years right. ago. Yep. Um, and you got to figure the cost of putting in implementing these testing protocols and things like that the follow-up things like that so even for the the students who aren't athletes that are having to provide positive tests or you know negative tests if that case may be and you have to put staff on that to follow up you know like hey you know you got to test again or whatever the case may be there's a lot of other costs that have come in with this so when you look at that Okay, the the school that has to forfeit, you know, they get a loss, and the mm-hmm. other team gets a win. Mm-hmm. But to me, I don't think that you know that win is really going to do anything to that program, except just give them another win. I mean, I'm not sure how that would have, how that would help them, you know, net ranking wise or anything like that, because they technically didn't play that game. Right. I mean, should that forfeit win bump them up or lower them in the standings? I don't think so. From a week to week, probably not. But when you look at a school at the end, if they have two or three of those, I don't know that you'll really notice. You know what I mean? Like, okay, we have 25 wins, but only 22 of them were on the court because we, we got three by forfeit. You know, I don't know how – it's kind of like having a kid that missed games in December because he was injured or because he was academically ineligible. We forget about those, you know, how, how, how those impact it. So, you know, I, I just – It'll be hard to tell. I think it'll. The biggest thing is it's going to help them in their conference record, the conference. Oh seating. sure. I mean that's the big thing. Like, you know, if you're competing for, you know, in the Missouri Valley to stay off of Thursday night, and you get a forfeit win, well, that's just that means we're showing up Friday instead of Thursday. But and it looks like there's some other conferences that are doing this as yeah, well. I think it's going to be, you know, nationwide. I can't see how it's not. And I kind of feel like you you kind of have to. I mean, what you saw last year, there were too many, you know too many schools trying to juggle hey we gotta make this game up mm-hmm. you know make that game up and with scheduling as tight as it is year in year out and having to schedule games 
couple years in advance, it's hard to work around with that. Right. Especially having, you know, the conference tournament, you know, you know, reserving those arenas on those right. Sundays. So you can't exactly extend that season. Yeah, it's not like we'll push the tournament back by two or three days. No, we have a facility that we're committed to. Another uh, news clip that happened in the Missouri Valley here in the last couple of weeks. I know you're a big fan of it, TJ. Um, Valparaiso changed their nickname from the uh, Crusaders to the Beacons. And I know you've never been more happy. I, I was, I'm okay. I understand why we're getting away from the Crusaders. I get that. I, I, the Beacons does not instill any kind of inspiration out of me. You know, I'm not like, all right, let's go. You know, uh, I think it's even the name of their school newspaper. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, if I am, I know there's like, there are references to light all throughout campus. I think Paul Oren, you know, may, may have made light of that. Like, Hey, you know, this and this and this, and then there's something's the beacon. It's, um, you know, it going to their, their, their Christian values. I'm sure that's part of what it is, the beacon of light, et cetera. But, you know, and there have been some really good renderings of what potentially uh, s- some of their signage could look like. So, you know, some, you know, amateurs coming out there, some people that have submitted some things for the school. It'll be interesting to see what that is because they haven't given you your mascots, just their nickname are the Beacons right now. So um, I, I really will be disappointed if they, they – bring out a guy dressed up in a uh, a lighthouse outfit that'll be you know we'll still will not compete with the riverboat gambler from evansville which is my favorite i think in terms of the, the mascots i mean you look at one of the schools in the ohio valley conference like austin p you know the chant known for let's go p i have you a know? shirt i wore it today uh, did you really yeah I haven't worn that yet. Yeah, it's, 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 it says "Let's go pee," and people that don't know, it's like, "What's what's pa?" <laughs> Sorry. We're... I mean, like, I like the chant. I mean, it's funny, and you know, people get a kick out of it, and it, it goes with the school. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're a Valparaiso, I mean, "Let's go Beacons" uh, mm-hmm. it just doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it yeah. doesn't have the same ring to it. But kudos to them; they didn't play it safe. They could have gone with just a large animal. You know, they could have been the Tigers for the thousandth time or the Bulldogs. And no, no offense to the schools that are already Bulldogs, but 2021, you're looking for a new nickname. You're not going with something that it's pretty prevalent. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Steering to the Ohio Valley side here, TJ, uh, we had mentioned it with uh, Coach Ritter during the interview. Uh, you know, moving to 10 teams here, mm-hmm. Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State leaving. And we had discussed this, you know, last year in one of the episodes, right? When news had came out that both schools were leaving. College or college basketball wise, not sure, you know, how those two teams leaving will affect them in the long run. Right. You know, who knows? The OVC may be looking for another mm-hmm. team. They may be looking for two teams to add to the conference. But stepping away from college basketball for just a minute. With college football, you know, knocking on the door here, it it's kind of affected them, you know, greatly, at mm-hmm. least for this season. You know, as we mentioned before we, you know, went on air here, you know, you look at the Ohio Valley Conference and you look at the teams in, left in it, which is six. You got Austin P, Eastern Illinois, Murray State, SEMO, and the three Tennessee schools, Tennessee State, Tennessee Tech, and UT Martin. When you look at the college basketball side of things, with those two leaving, Belmont doesn't have a football team, SIUE doesn't have a football team, and Moorhead State's in a different conference for football. 
So the Ohio Valley's left with six teams, and typically the teams within the conference would play 11 or 12 games. You know, you'd have three or four non-conference games. Well, this year, it's kind of a different feel. And I guess a lot of that has to do with, you know, short planning, as you had mentioned. Uh, because the Ohio Valley, you know, the schools in the conference, they have about three non-conference games against true opponents. So, like, for SEMO example, they play Carbondale, Mizzou, and Sam Houston State. And their other non-conference games are coming from within the conference. Right. Now, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but let's say, you know, SEMO plays Tennessee State twice mm-hmm. okay that first game probably doesn't it does not count for conference standing standing so if they beat them and you know they show tennessee state you know their full game plan here okay now tennessee state has a chance to prepare for them five weeks down the road and if tennessee state comes back and beats them well now that's the only game that mattered out of the two mm-hmm. because it mattered for conference and that one that SEMO would have won earlier in the year did not matter mm-hmm. so i I hope that going forward, maybe there's some stuff in the works to where they're going to get more non-conference games instead of this in-conference. You have to think play. so. If this seems like a band-aid to fix something that was just kind of triage, for lack of a better term, they they suddenly left. Here we are because it was what March, eight March, I think, when this all or February at the latest, yeah, or at the earliest that this broke out, and now you're stuck on a short window. Everybody's booked up. You know, who are you going to, are you going to play, you know, a Greenville college or Greenville university? That's a D three program. That's not going to help you either. So this was probably something that was mutually beneficial. Hey, let's just work this out. We're just going to do this so that we still have FCS level games and we can move forward from there. Now, I wonder if there was a, if there was talk that whether Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville state could have been used as a non-conference game for those members but at the same time, maybe the, the Ohio Valley looked at it and said, well, you guys left. We're not going to give you those non-conference games either. Right. Unless you're going to play them at our place, maybe. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> there's five more road games for you. <laughs> I'm sure their schedule is probably filled up, too. And, you know, and from what I understood, they're, they're holding uh, those two schools to the contract that you have, you know, the bylaws that you have to give us X amount of time. And we're seeing it come into play with the Big 12, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. They're going to be in for another two or three years with their conference. That, that's... That's still that's a weird situation oh, too. Oh, it is. You know, it's, it's like, you know, uh, hey, I don't want to be friends with you anymore, and I'm going to kick you out in six months. <laughs> We're still going to live together. <laughs> but college basketball wise, inside the conference with those two teams leaving, you know, uh, coach Coach Ritter mentioned it. He he said it should uh, leave more balance in the conference. Mm-hmm. And Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State, they both did pretty well last year, and you know. Both had over 20 wins. I believe Jacksonville State over 20 wins. I know Eastern Kentucky did. But both had winning records. And those two schools helped the OVC, you know, net ranking as mm-hmm. a whole because they played well outside of their non-conference, you know, getting to those wins. And so I think those two teams leaving, it may, it may hurt in that aspect. But at the same time, it'll be more balanced, you know, with teams going back and forth maybe – the gap won't be as big, you know, in the standings because you had it was kind of top heavy last year mm-hmm. with teams having, you know, you had Murray State, Moorhead, or Belmont, Moorhead, and then Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State. But now it should be a little bit more even. Right. And you take away that long travel to Jacksonville State as right. well. 
So I'm interested to see how the how the teams will play this year, the ten teams, and uh, hopefully there'll be a lot of continuity and uh, a lot of back and forth, and it'll be it'll be good juggling for that uh, conference tournament. Right now, refresh my memory. Before last year, were they playing 22 non-conference games, or was it imbalanced? Because Coach brought that up that hey, you get nine home, nine away. I couldn't remember. Was there some kind of weird balance, or was a couple teams you played? Yes, twice, and then one or two that you played once. So they they had this, they had it broken divisions up in at divisions one at one point, and you would play each school in your division twice, and you'd play the other one once. But now, you know, last year it wasn't it wasn't like that because right, it was just and so you played some schools twice, and others you only played once. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think now, if you get a chance to play each other head to head one at home one on the road i think that'll go a long way in seeing hey what are we actually like against you know this team mm-hmm. you know we competed well with them at home but how do we stack up to them on the road right so i think you'll be able to gauge a lot more of how you compare to other teams in the conference and that'll especially help uh for when the ovc tournament gets here yeah i think it'll help you be able to measure growth both ways you know hey you know we played these guys back in January, we we struggled, or we they they waxed floor with us. We're playing here now, mid February, and we beat them. We're competing with them, whatever the case may be. And you may see if you regress too, injuries can come in to kind of throw off that balance too. As always, like maybe you, you don't have a key player in one contest compared to the other. So there's you know it'll it'll even out. Yep, I agree. Uh, but with that, TJ, uh, that'll kind of wrap up uh, this week's episode. Nice short and sweet episode to open up the podcast season for us in season two and then as we had mentioned earlier in the show going forward we'll get into those non-conference schedules and break down uh, the rosters you know within the two schools and you know keep you up to date with uh you know any news that circulates between the two conferences or even just college basketball as a whole uh, I, I think we'd i'd be remiss if i didn't you know give a shout out to to doug elgin the commissioner that has just stepped down from uh the missouri valley conference which by all accounts is the mastermind behind Arch Madness, which you know is the the basis of my love for the conference. Obviously, I went to SIU Carbondale, but you know the reason we do this is because I got into the MVC tournament. You know, and and all things seem to be looking up with Jeff Jackson, who came over from the Big Twelve. So thanks to Doug Elgin, and hopefully uh, Jeff Jackson keeps us on the the same upward trend. So for that, that'll wrap up Season 2, Episode 1 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week for Season 2, Episode 2. And again, a special thanks to Coach Ryan Ritter for taking time to join the show this week. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud, and give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.